Well, how many of you grew up in a church that had a children's time right before the kids were dismissed to go down to the children's church, right? A couple of you. I grew up in a church like that. I remember we would sing the first two songs. We would go up, have a little children's time, and then we would head downstairs to the classrooms that were down there. Well, the story goes that a pastor was giving the children's message during church, and he was just preparing this brief lesson before he would dismiss them. And on one particular Sunday, he was using squirrels as an object lesson for this children's church moment. And he started by saying, I'm going to describe something that we'll use as an object lesson for industry and preparation. And I want you to raise your hand when you know what it is. And so he began and uh, the children nodded eagerly, and he said, okay, this thing that I'm thinking of lives in trees and eats nuts. No hands went up. So he continued, and it's gray and has a long, bushy tail. And he thought for sure they would have it by now, but the children were more like looking at each other nervously, and no one had raised a hand. So he said, well, it, it jumps from branch to branch and chatters and flips its tail when it gets excited, and he's kind of running out of ideas here. And finally, one little boy kind of tentatively raises his hand. He says, yes, yes, what is it? And uh, he says, well, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me, right? <laughs> and uh, I can be honest with you and confess that early in my walk with Christ, I found that the Jesus is the answer billboards is kind of reductive. And kind of like, really? Like, for everything? Is Jesus really the answer? And I became a little resentful of those statements, but I will also confess that over the last five to ten years, as I have found Jesus to really be the answer and more of Jesus in my life is what I need in given situations and in given challenges, uh, I found that he really is or has the answer to just about everything. And so, as we continue our Pace of Grace sermon series, I found it very ironic that the weather and life in general this past week has forced a lot of us to slow down, <laughs> literally, as we drive across town. It is not safe to drive at the speed limit or even close to the speed limit. Or maybe you had a couple of snow days and your schedule was drastically different Monday, Tuesday, and Friday than what you were expecting uh, when the last time we were together. I know it was a very different week for us uh, in our home and, and in our staff and just getting around and those types of things. Uh, the sermon series we started last week, and I want to say hello to everybody who's joining us online. I'm told that we have somewhere between four or five times as many people joining us live online today uh, because of the weather. And so we see you, and we're glad that you're here. Feel free to interact in uh, the comments and, and so forth um, as you're able. But we're doing this sermon series because God was never in a hurry. In the Old Testament or the New Testament, Jesus was never in a hurry when we read about him in the Gospels. And we have to ask ourselves if we're following him when we're always in a hurry. Is there a pace that grace has? Is there a pace that God's grace has that says you don't have to do everything in a hurry? And what I have found as I have sought to incorporate some of these things is it's not like you clear your schedule and say, fine, then I'm not going to do anything. I'll retire at 42 and I will never do anything again because I don't want to be in a hurry. It's more that we learn to do things 
maybe many of the same things, maybe most of the same things, but without that extra layer of being frantic, being in a hurry, feeling overwhelmed, we do scale back on some things and we take the pressure off. And so as we think about the five levels of engagement that I recommended last week, it sounds like, wait, we're supposed to do less and you're telling us to pick a level of engagement and stretch ourselves and do a little bit more, only because it will help you to incorporate the things that we're learning. And so I would encourage you to pick one of these and then tell someone. And so the first level would just be to attend all six weeks. I had to laugh at that when I was preparing and rehearsing this. I thought, well, a lot of people aren't going to be able to attend this week, even if they made that commitment last week. And that's kind of the way life goes sometimes. You commit to making Sabbath a priority, and you might find life conspiring against you. And remember, this is about grace. Um, so attending the six weeks, uh, for those of you that made it a priority to be here live online, we're grateful for that. Um, Read Luke and Acts in the next couple of months. If you're starting today, uh, you, you might just give yourself a little extra grace and uh, give yourself a couple of months to complete that. But this would build the habit of encountering God through His Word uh, on a regular basis. There's about 52 chapters in Luke and Acts, and um, you could do that over the next couple of months and even give yourself some grace uh, to skip a day or two. You might consider joining a banding together group if you're going to do that because they'll be reading those passages as well and you could discuss them in a small group setting. The third one, if you do one and two and just by nature and you want to stretch yourself a little bit, then committing to a Sabbath in 2024 might be something that would stretch you a little bit to, to understand what a biblical Sabbath looks like and to seek to incorporate that into your life. And don't be surprised if you make that commitment and suddenly something goes haywire, and it's hard for you to do a Sabbath once or twice. Give yourself some grace, focus on progress, not perfection, and work towards prioritizing that in your life. We'll look at Sabbath in depth in a couple of weeks in week four. Number four would be to read the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, um, which I mentioned last week, and, and several of you picked that up. We have them available. You can see me after the service if you'd like to get your hands on a copy of that book. Um, it's not for everyone. I mentioned that last week. Obviously, if you're not reading Scripture on a regular basis, don't go and read that instead. Start with Scripture. Prioritize that. Um, but the book is really helpful, especially if you say, well, that'd be great, but I don't have time to read that book. <laughs> then it would really be good for you to read that book and to incorporate it into your life or maybe find it on uh, an audio book format where you could listen to it on your way to and from things or something like that. And the last one would be to share what you're learning and doing as a result of what you're learning with someone else, with a small group perhaps. In fact, we're excited to be offering a small group uh, class on the book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and the spiritual disciplines that we'll be focused on in the next four weeks. It's going to start on Wednesday nights, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday on the 24th, and uh, it'll be at 6.30. And so if you're dropping off kids, picking up kids, or if you just want to come and join the class and be a part of it and read the book with a, another group of people and study that together and seek to incorporate the things that it's talking about in that small group environment, uh, we're excited to offer that class. And uh, you can register scanning that QR code that's on the screen, or you can go to linwoodchurch.org slash events and let us know you want to be a part of it. You'll get a participant's guide. There'll be some video teaching and some just live discussion and so forth. So those are some ways that you can engage and get more out of this. Um, than if you don't.
Now, to, today we're going to be talking about the solution because last week we talked about the problem, right? We talked about the problem of hurry. If you were not here last week, um, then I would highly recommend that you go back and listen to that message. It's available on our website. It's available in our app. It's available on YouTube and Facebook. Um, but we really looked at this idea of the problem that hurry is in our lives. In fact, our bottom line last week was this quote from Dallas Willard that hurry is the great enemy of spiritual growth or spiritual life in our day. And as a result of that, I asked you to self-assess and say, how big of a deal is hurry in my life? And maybe ask somebody you trust, do I come off this way? Do I come off as always in a hurry? Am I overwhelmed? Do I have some of the symptoms of hurry sickness that we talked about last week? And if the answer is no, then maybe ask, well, who could I help? Who do I know who's always in a hurry and how could I come alongside them and help? But if the answer is yes, then just have a, a conversation with God and say, what could I do about that? What changes could I make to my life? What things could I say no to? What things could I do differently? Where could I outsource something? Or where could I ask for help and uh, make some changes? So today we're going to talk about the solution to hurry. And I'll give you a hint up front. It's not more time. We've convenienced ourselves and saved time down to the point where we should all be just sitting around, you know, for 40 or 50 hours a week because we've saved so much time with modern conveniences, indoor plumbing, uh, you know, electricity, incandescent light, uh, microwaves, all of these things that, you know, we don't have to chop wood and carry water anymore. We don't have to do so many of these things anymore. We can go faster and we can go longer than we ever have before, and yet we find ourselves busier and busier and more and more overwhelmed. And so the solution isn't more time. And at the risk of oversimplifying this, I really believe that the solution is to know Jesus deeply and intimately and learn to live your life as he would if he were you. To be intentional about spending time with Jesus, being with Jesus, learning to become like him seeing how he lived his life and how he handled situations and how he handled stress and then seek to live as he lived, to be with him, to become like him and to do what he would do. And I think you'll find that's the solution to most things in life, not just this issue of hurry. That's the solution to money problems. That's solutions to when we look at what Jesus taught us, it really is the solution to the problems that we face. And before we dive into today's passage, I do want to just create a little bit of a distinction between a life that is full of important things, things that matter, and a life that's busy and overwhelming. Because I do think that we can have a life that's full. Jesus said he came to give us an abundant life. Abundance carries with it the notion of fullness, right? But it's also a life that's rich and satisfying, not a life that's overwhelming, not a life that wrings us dry on a regular basis. And I think when we look at the life that Jesus lived, the places that he went, the things that he did, his life was full of things that mattered, and yet he was never in a hurry. And so, as I said earlier, the goal is not to clear our schedules and just sit around and do nothing, but to do the things that God has set before us in a way that honors him and brings glory to him. And so we're going to focus on an invitation from Jesus that's found at the end of Matthew chapter 11. If you want to turn in one of our blue hardcover Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, it's on page 1514. Otherwise, uh, you can join along with us in your Bible or you can join us online. And if that passage sounds familiar, I think, didn't we just do this one? 
Uh, yeah, we did. It was about this fall. We, we did it at the beginning of the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality series. Um, but today we're going to focus more on how it speaks to this overwhelmed, hurried nature that many of us find ourselves in. And it's, it's a good reinforcement of this idea that often we need to be reminded more than we need to be instructed. And too often we come and we get a new thing every week at church, and we haven't really fully applied the last teaching into our lives. And so uh, if this sounds a little familiar or the passage sounds familiar, it's because we did hit it. And normally I don't uh, hit two passages uh, or the same passage uh, this close together, but I think that this will be helpful to us. And so I want to read this passage to you in the NIV, but also in the message paraphrase, uh, which is a paraphrase, and I understand that, uh, but it's very helpful sometimes to to illuminate certain things within the text and uh, call out certain things uh, that are a part of that. So in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now with that in mind, listen to the message paraphrase here. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now, there's a couple things that I want you to see in this, and the way that this passage is structured. We see that it begins with an invitation. Jesus says, come to me. It's an invitation to those who are weary and burdened. And he's saying, if you're weary and if you're burdened, come to me. And the message actually starts with the question and then gives the invitation. It starts with that question, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Then the invitation comes. And I think that's important and I think it's helpful to some of us because as I mentioned last week, sometimes we are so used to hurry that we're not even aware we're in a hurry because we hurry all the time and that feels like normal and it doesn't feel like hurry. And yet if we'll stop and we'll take assessment, am I tired? Am I weary? Am I burned out, whether it's on religion or something else. That's the immediate context. If you read the verses before that, Jesus is talking about religion and how he's here to bring us a relationship, not just to do more, try harder religious system, but a relationship with him. And then comes the invitation, come to me. And right on the heels of that, come to me, on that invitation is the promise. The promise is, I will give you rest. It's a promise to those who come. It's a promise to those who accept the invitation. If you're weary and you're burdened and you come to him, he says, I'll give you rest. I like how the message paraphrase says that I will show you how to take a real rest. You'll recover your life. Just get away with me and I'll show you how to do it, which really leads into the next verse, which is sort of the central verse in this teaching where he says in the NIV, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now he's describing a process. So he started with an invitation. 
which was followed by a promise. And now we have the process. And processes take time. If you're hurried and you're overwhelmed and you're on the verge of burnout, you don't want a process. You want something immediate. You want a solution right now. But he says there's a process involved, and the process is to take his yoke upon you and learn from him. Now, when he says a yoke, it's important to understand Jesus was a rabbi, and he was many things to many people. He was the son of God. He was the son of man. But he was a rabbi, and he was recognized as such, and he had followers like rabbis had followers, and many of his followers consistently referred to him as rabbi or as teacher because that was a role that he played, and every rabbi had a yoke. Not a literal yoke, like a piece of farm equipment, but a way of reading the Torah, which is the law, the Old Testament, that rabbis would have a way of reading the Old Testament, reading the scriptures, and interpreting them, and then they would teach that way, that lens with which they understood God, and that lens with which they understood how to please God. And so Jesus's yoke would be more concisely stated as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That was his yoke. He says, you have heard it said, or you have read, I say to you. He's explaining how he interprets Scripture, and because he's the Son of God, he interprets it perfectly. He applies it perfectly. He teaches it perfectly. But he had a yoke. He had a way of understanding that, a way of relating to God, a way of relating to others, and a way of relating to life in general. And so when he starts with the Beatitudes, he's sort of inverting what most people understood. The most people understood that, you know, the blessed were the, those that were wealthy. The blessed were those who had power and control. The blessed were those who had security. The blessed were those who had a lot of great relationships. And he says, no, actually, it's the poor in spirit. It's those who are merciful because they'll receive mercy. He, he redefined what blessing looked like, and then he begins to teach. And he goes through and he lays out his yoke, and he's telling us how to shoulder the load of life. If you understand what a yoke is, it's a way to harness an animal to a load or multiple animals to the same load so that they'll pull it in tandem. It's a way to shoulder the burdens or the load of life. And so he's explaining that he has a yoke. And we are to learn to see as he sees, to do as he did, to live as he lived. That's what he's saying when he says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. And here's the thing. It's not optional. It's connected to the rest that he promised. He, he says, come to me. That's the invitation. I'll give you rest. That's the promise. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's the process. That's how we get what is promised. And this is important because Religion says, add a little Jesus to your life and do what he did and, and add a little few more items to your to-do list. And Jesus is saying, no, learn to live as I lived. Learn to do what I did. And I think that's why John the Baptist, he, he understood this in a way that other people didn't. John the Baptist is the guy that Jesus says, you know that John the Baptist? He's the greatest that's ever been born of a woman. That's a pretty high praise from Jesus, from the Son of God. He distinguishes John the Baptist over and above everybody else. And it was John the Baptist who said, I must decrease. He must increase. And so if the greatest person who's ever lived says, I must decrease. He must increase. Then 
I know I must decrease so that he can increase. That my way and the world's way that's been in operation in my life has to in decrease so that his way of being in the world can increase. And it's important we also understand this is not just our salvation. This is also our healing. This is not just how we get saved and get our ticket punched for heaven. This is how we get healed from what life did to us before we came to him. This is how we get healed from the way the world does this. In fact, salvation and healing have the same root word. That's why when you have an issue, you put a salve on it, S-A-L-V-E. It's the same root as salvation. What saves us is also what heals us with Jesus. Now, I love the way the message states this. Jesus says, walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Walk with me, not run. Work with me. Don't do it on your own. Work with me and watch how I do it means we spend time in Scripture seeing how he did it, and then we seek to emulate that. If you reverse the order of that, we watch how he lived, we do what he does, and we keep pace with him. We don't get out ahead of him or fall behind him. And you see, when you're yoked to someone else, if the pace is not the same, you end up going in circles, right? So if I had Ryan come up here and join me, and we were yoked together, and I wanted to walk, and he wanted to run, if he's on my right, he's running, we're just going in circles, because he's taking two steps for every step that I take, right? That's how a yoke works. You have to kind of find a rhythm. And that's why I think the message says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. How beautiful is that? That's where the title for this series came from, is this idea that grace has a pace and a rhythm. So does Jesus. Jesus has a pace and a rhythm to his life that you can see in the pages of the New Testament, you can see in the Gospels. And love has a pace and a rhythm. Unfortunately, so does hurry. Hurry has a pace, it's a quicker pace. It has a rhythm, it's more disjointed. But it has a pace and a rhythm. Anxiety has a pace and a rhythm. That Continual lust for more that Paul talked about last week, that has a pace and a rhythm. It's a faster pace. It's not a sustainable pace. And people are burning themselves out trying to keep up with it. And so he says, he restates the promise at the end of verse 29, and you will find rest for your souls. I don't know if I've never seen this before or if I'm at an age where I'm starting to rediscover things again for the first time, but I have never noticed that verse 28 says, I will give you rest. And verse 29 says, after you've done it like me for a while, after you're yoked to me and you're watching me and you're learning from me, you will find rest. First he gives it. I think that's salvation. Then we find it. We find rest with Jesus doing it his way. First he gives it. Then we find it. We discover it. We discover uh, maybe a second layer or a, a deeper rest that the salvation is coming to him and the healing is the learning and the doing like him. And it heals us. He gives us one more promise before he's all done. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Verse 30. Now, I mentioned earlier that every rabbi had a yoke. But one thing we know from that time and that time period is that most rabbis' yokes were very hard and very strenuous. 
Jesus even kind of blasts the Pharisees for this a couple of times. In Matthew 23, verse 4, he's talking to the Pharisees, and he says they tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders like a yoke, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Contrast that with Jesus, who says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Walk with me, learn with me. I'm in the yoke with you. Not only is it easy and my burden is light, but I'm with you while you're pulling, while you're working on that. You see, Jesus' yoke was very, very different. And Dallas Willard speaks to this when he says, the secret of the easy yoke involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully, etc., all while living the rest of our lives just as everyone else around us does. It's a strategy bound to fail. It's not adding a bunch of the things Jesus did to your already overwhelming life. It's learning to live the way he lived. And so our bottom line today is if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, do it the way he did and be yoked to him. You have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. That comes from John Mark Comer in his book. And he he tells the analogy of an apartment that he had. And outside his window on the other side of the street, uh, a group of runners would get together on Saturday morning. And he was always a little envious because, you know, he's like, they are so thin and fit and they can just take off running and they can run quick miles in succession, multiple miles in a row. Some of them were marathoners. They could run. I don't know if you've ever met a marathoner, but it blows me away. Some of these people can run like 26 and a half miles in a row under six minutes or something like that. And you know, that's not even like Olympic marathoners. And he said it was always a little envious that they could do that. He wanted the life of a runner. He wanted to be thin and fit and be able to run whenever he wanted to. But he didn't want the lifestyle. <laughs> He didn't want to train. He didn't want to get up early on a Saturday morning and go for a run to stay in shape. He just wanted the life without the lifestyle. And I think many of us kind of want the life of Jesus, but not enough to make the changes. We don't want the lifestyle. We don't want to be weird. We don't want to stand out. We don't want to make our kids look weird and stand out. And yet we want them to have the life of Jesus. And so that's why that's the bottom line. So what is the Jesus lifestyle. You might be asking, it would be not very good for me to just give you that bottom line and say, now go figure out what the Jesus lifestyle is. I'll give you some insights because there's a couple from this passage. What does the Jesus lifestyle look like? First, it's gentle and humble. He said that in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. Gentleness isn't weakness. It doesn't mean you're a pushover or a doormat. Gentleness is strength under control. It's where you have strength and power, but you choose to harness that. Either there's self-discipline involved, or maybe one of my favorite images of gentleness is this like big, burly, lumberjack-looking guy holding his baby for the first time. And he's strong, and he can do all kinds of big, powerful things, right, with his strength, but he holds and cradles that child gently, maybe caress its cheek. That's gentleness. It's not the absence of strength. It's that strength has been brought under control. 
And he's humble. Humble means that you're others-focused, not self-focused. Humble means that you put yourself second or third or fourth and put others first, and that's Jesus. And so that's part of the Jesus lifestyle, to be gentle and to be humble. The Jesus lifestyle would also be restful, easy, and light. We see that in this passage as well. You'll find rest for your soul. I love how the amplified version breaks that verse out when it says you'll find rest. It breaks that out as peace, recreation. Think about recreation as re-creation, recreation, and blessed quiet. Jesus' lifestyle is restful. He would often take the disciples off to Caesarea Philippi to to get away. He would go to the other side of the lake. He was seeking rest. He would go out in the morning and spend time alone with God. His lifestyle is easy and light. He just told us that. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. A couple other things that we've mentioned or that we can see clearly from the Gospels is that he was never in a hurry. He was never anxious and he was never too busy. He, he, he was so interruptible, wasn't he? Think about it, Jesus. Like he, so many times he's on the way to do one thing and somebody interrupts him. And so he gives that person his attention and he heals that person. And then he moves on to the next thing. Or we were going to go this way, but we decided to take a left turn to go and see this. Or we were going to stay here, but we were interrupted. And it didn't seem to bother him. And I've never seen Jesus once wringing his hands. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Herod's out to kill me. What are we going to do? He he was not worried. He was not anxious. He was never in a hurry. I like this next one. His life was full. The Jesus lifestyle is full, but he was fiercely present. And he maintained margin in his life so that he could be interrupted, so that he could take the detour. And lastly, he was consistent with key spiritual practices. We see that in Scripture. Not just because they were commanded, but because they were his connection with God, his communion with God. And in fact, there's an arc through the Gospel of Luke that as his ministry gets more and more intense, the amount of times that he goes off by himself to a quiet place increases as well. He understood that he needed that connection with God. And there are four key spiritual practices in regards to hurry that we'll spend the next four weeks looking on are looking into. The first is silence and solitude. The second is Sabbath. The third is simplicity. You're like, simplicity, that's a spiritual discipline? Yeah, that world out there is complex, and complexity demands more and more time and more and more from us, but simplicity, learning to live a simple life, can help us to slow down. And then there's actually a spiritual practice called slowing, being deliberately slow, choosing the longer line in a grocery store just so you have a minute to rest, to relax to maybe pray for the people around you, whatever it is. So we'll be looking at those spiritual practices and seeing how they show up in the life of Jesus and how they show up in the life of God's people throughout the Old Testament. So that's where we're headed. Because if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. They go hand in hand. You don't get one without the other. Now, Perhaps you noticed when you came in, there were some handouts on your seats. Or if there's not one on your seat, there's probably one close by, or there's plenty of empty seats today that you could grab one of these. Feel free to take one. If you're watching online, there is a QR code that you can scan to download this. Uh, But you can also come back next week. We're probably going to have some leftovers, and you could pick one of these up. Um, But I want to lead you through this. This is a prayer that I've been living with for about the last two months. And... 
focuses on some postures and moving ourselves from a certain posture to a certain posture. And so I'd like to encourage you, if this is interesting to you, to take this with you and to begin praying this prayer in the morning or in the evening, whenever you have your quiet time with God. It can be a very centering experience. I like to do this in the morning to sort of set a trajectory for the day. And so I'll, I'll kind of guide you through this. You can observe. It's okay to pray with your eyes open. Uh, that's, that, there's, they still counts if your eyes are open. So you can keep your eyes open and you can follow along if you want to. And I would encourage you, all of these have to do with moving from a clenched fist to an open hand. And so I would encourage you, don't just close your hand, clench your fists, build some tension as we go through those postures. And then when you release, you feel that release differently. Okay? So follow along with me if you want to, uh, to participate in this. You can stand if you want to stand. You can remain seated if you want to remain seated. But the first one is to just hold your fists up. And then from here, I'll just guide you through them. I won't necessarily narrate it. With your fists up like this, you can say, Lord, I confess that I spend too much time defending and fighting my positions, my attitudes, my opinions, and my behaviors. I confess that I often fight against you, against your plans and your will. I confess that these hands do not reflect how you lived your life or how I have experienced you in mine. So instead, I choose to hold my hands up and surrender to you. I surrender all I am and all I have to you today. I choose surrender. Next, you can hold your hands like this, clench your fists again and say, Lord, I confess I spend too much time desperately trying to hold on to what I believe to be mine. I confess that I am too often fooled into thinking that I'm defined by what I have and what I do. I confess that these hands do not represent how you lived your life or how I've experienced you in my life. So instead, I choose to hold my hands open in generosity. I choose to receive from you and give to others today. I choose generosity. And lastly, hold your, fold your arms like this and make your fists. Lord, I confess that I spend too much time preoccupied with my own issues. I confess my cynicism, my entrenchment, my entitlement. I confess that these hands do not reflect how you lived your life or how I have experienced you in my life. So instead, I choose openness to you, to your ways and your mission. I choose to embrace the adventure you called me into. I choose mission. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have invited us to not just long for the life that you lived, but to embrace and adopt the lifestyle that you represented, that you modeled for us. And so we pray, Lord, wherever the rubber meets the road for each of us, if it's coming to you for salvation and accepting that invitation to come to you and to find rest, eternal rest for your soul, then Lord, may we be quick to reach out and take hold of that, to confess our sin and our need of a Savior, to invite your forgiveness and to 
pledge our lives to follow you. If it's to learn to live the way that you live, to embark on discipleship and to find rest for our souls, to take your yoke, then Lord, show us what that looks like. Show us where we need to make a change. Show us where we can come alongside others and help them. However we respond to your word today, Lord, may we be a people who continually respond to your word in faith. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.